Welcome one and all to episode 137 of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we are, uh, well, we're into the college football playoffs. We know the four teams. The committee got what they wanted and needed. Um, And maybe, and this is a debate, you know, probably for another show, but maybe, you know, Georgia's not as good as we thought, and maybe they don't belong in the playoffs. But before we get to that, how are you doing, man? Doing great. Uh, like you said, we, we spent a lot of time talking about all these scenarios, what happens if, uh, if, what happens if Michigan and Bama and Cincinnati all lose. And, of course, that none of those things happened. They all won, and that made for an easy selection committee show. Um Kind of felt bad, not really, but you kind of felt bad for the crew on that Sunday show because there was just no suspense behind who those final four teams were going to be after Saturday. Uh, Cincinnati won convincingly. Michigan won convincingly. Georgia lost fairly convincingly too, but it wasn't going to matter. They were always going to be in, win or lose, after their undefeated regular season. So um, we're going to get into that. We're going to also talk about the bowl games but we're going to do that as they come around so we're going to kind of tackle that on a week-to-week basis because there are just too many bowl bowl games to try and squeeze into this show Um, so primarily tonight we're just going to talk about a few of you know the the stories around this final four and how things are going to uh, develop what we're excited to see Um, but first congratulations to the four Heisman finalists that was announced during the day on Monday, and that that uh, Heisman Trophy ceremony is going to be on Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 11th, I believe, of December. And uh, you're going to see Bryce Young, of course, the quarterback from Alabama. You got Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end from Michigan. Uh, so we have a defensive player this year. And then we have another couple of quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud from the Buckeyes, and Kenny Pickett gets in. So his uh, well-deserved, his fantastic year ends in a well-deserved uh, Final Four nomination for the Heisman Trophy. And uh, my pick, Seth, is Bryce Young. I think he, I think he nailed the the award down with that epic performance against Georgia. I thought he'd have to throw a few, a couple picks, two, three picks, to get knocked out of that race. Instead, he goes for 400 yards. They win, uh, walking away, and and. Uh, they end up as the number one seed going to the playoffs. So I don't see any of these guys knocking Bryce Young out at this point. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think if I had to pick who the Heisman is this year, I would actually take Aiden Hutchinson. I think in a screwy year where, you know, there wasn't really a dominant offense, one of the lasting images this season is how dominant the Wolverines' defense has been in – two really big games and you know that's led by Hutchinson and his performances in those games um this is going to be kind of and and we talked about this that Indomitian Sufil right like this whole probably the best player isn't gonna the guy that's the most deserved won't win the Heisman because well it usually just is much easier to go to an offensive player and even more than that uh, a quarterback right 
And and arguably, if you're going to go defender, the guy who's most deserving might not even be a finalist here because we might be talking about Will Anderson, who actually had more sacks and almost twice as many tackles for loss as Hutchinson, albeit in a slightly different kind of kind of role. But I mean, ultimately, they're both pass rushers. So I think uh, Anderson had more opportunities to make plays in the run game, and that led to that that lofty tap tackle for loss number. But again, he he's left out. We've only got a final four. I think most disappointing for me is that Kenneth Walker the third did not even get uh, an invite to New York because up until a few weeks ago, until Ohio State blew them out, Kenneth Walker was probably the front runner, and uh, there was really nobody else to talk about at that point. And then he has that one game where he just gets completely shut down along with the rest of his team. And then he still finishes the the season fairly strongly, but then he doesn't have a championship game this past weekend to build off of. So he ends up being the forgotten man. And unfortunately, after a phenomenal season, he's still left out of the conversation altogether. So that's a little bit disappointing. Um, You know, Anderson could have been in there too. Uh, I don't see why they can't invite six people, but I don't really know how the voting the the voting is going to shake out, anyways. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it it probably as much as Stroud I think deserves to be there. I think the three guys from just the point of who deserves it probably should have just been um, Young. Uh, Hutchinson and and Walker not that you know because Stroud's probably going to finish third or fourth I would imagine um Anderson's going to finish in that five to four to six range and so and then Pickett's going to finish in that same range as well I think I think the top three are probably going to be uh you know Young winning it I think Hutchinson's going to end up Second, and then I'm interested to see if if Stroud ends up third. Um, I think he will actually. Um, he's notably the only one of the four who didn't play in a conference championship game, and Pickett I think had fallen out of it, and I think he got back in with his win in the ACC championship game. So I I would guess that it'll be Young Hutchinson, Hutchinson, then Stroud, then Pickett. The college football playoffs are set. Number one goes to Alabama. Um, I guess when you shellack the only undefeated team left in the country and make it look relatively easy after the first quarter, you earn that spot. Um, Were you shocked to see Bama move up to number one um, over Michigan, even though both had equally dominant performances, albeit obviously Alabama's against Georgia and uh Michigan's against uh, one of those bad Big Ten teams. No, I, I wasn't shocked at all because uh, it's it, it it has been with the committee. It, like, what is what have you done for me lately? Like, when you see Bama put that performance up against Georgia, the committee's not even. Uh, it doesn't even seem like they remember that just a week before that, uh, Auburn pushed uh, Alabama to to the brink. And it seemed like at one point that Auburn was going to pull off a crazy upset in the Iron Bowl. That seemed to be completely forgotten this week. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I disagree with that decision. Because you, you've you been uh, putting Georgia on this pedestal all season long. And then here comes Alabama and they just dismantle them 
uh, the best defense in college football. Uh, and now you have to question, and I think we'll get into it a little bit more, is this is this actually the best defense now? Uh, certainly up until this point, they were giving up about seven points a game. And to see what Bryce Young and company did to them, I think that was too fresh in the mind of the committee. They have to put them at one. So I wasn't surprised at all. Um, unfortunately, you know, it, it kind of, looks like they're just setting up to have a Georgia-Bama rematch. And after Saturday, um, and I mean in the final, and after Saturday, I'm not really sure that that's what we want to see in the final this year. So it's going to be up to the other two teams to, to change that. They're going to take on the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats, the first ever group of five uh, are you completely shocked to see that this year? Um, we said this is the year, right? This would be the year if it was going to happen. We did say that, but I think at least I also said that I thought it was never going to happen. Uh, so I stand corrected. Um, but, yeah, we, we kind of way back in the summertime, we kind of laid out scenarios on a couple of our shows as to how this could happen, and that's how it shook out. You had a two-loss Ohio State team that didn't make the Big Ten championship game. You had no representation from either the ACC or the Pac-12 uh, or the Big 12. So you have you know, three Power Five conferences shut out. And the only way to do that is to have three champions in those conferences that had uh, two losses or more. And that's that's where we ended up. So... Cincinnati gets in, and they did it by going undefeated. We said that was the number one thing they had to do was go undefeated in their schedule. Turns out their only like really great win was was Notre Dame, who ended up being the uh, ranked fifth at, at the end of the day. So, yeah, how great is Notre Dame? I don't know. We'll we'll find out more about them, I guess, in the bowl game. But you know, that's another conversation too, because how much will we, will we find out about these other? bowl teams because they're likely to have players opt out, you know? So it's uh, it, it was the year and now Cincinnati has a couple of players on their team. Um, and there's a, a couple of key matchups that we'll talk about here where these players now have an, a, a real chance to establish themselves and prove themselves on a huge stage that they're ca- capable of possibly being NFL first round picks if they haven't done so already. The uh, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl is Cincinnati Bama. The Capital One Orange Bowl is Georgia Michigan. Um, Michigan's the two seed. Georgia the three seed. I know it doesn't matter in the scheme of things. Um, were you surprised that they didn't keep Georgia at two? No, I think they were rewarding Michigan for dominating Ohio State and Iowa back-to-back. And uh, it wouldn't have mattered because you still have two versus three on a neutral field. But I think this was the way of rewarding Michigan for what Michigan had done over the past, the final two weeks of the season. So Michigan finished as probably stronger than any of these four teams, honestly, um, because of who they had to get through. They had to get to then number two Ohio State. 
And then they had to play an Iowa team that had a tough defense all year long, although they were banged up. Um, in the meantime, you had Alabama, like I said. They had a dogfight to get out of the Iron Bowl in one piece. And then Georgia, who ends up with a, an ugly loss as, as the last game of their season. So I think this was just a nod to Michigan, like, hey, you guys have, have really not – quite Bama we don't think you're that good but you've done enough the last two weeks that we're going to reward you with the two seed there are some really intriguing matchups in these games though uh let's start with your first impression on Devin Ritter getting his chance to kind of really establish himself maybe as a first round pick yeah I think I think this is his opportunity to really shine and, and really uh, change the mind of some people who might be doubting him. We see him in the first round of a lot of mocks. But um, to me personally, and I, I think you probably would agree with me on this, I have never thought of him as a first-round caliber uh, prospect. He just doesn't strike me as having the, uh, the accuracy on throws down to the field he's a good runner but i don't think he's a great athlete he's th- got a thin frame i think he has a good arm but he's not it's not a josh allen caliber arm and and i think we talked about that at one point during the year because somebody had compared him on twitter to josh allen but i i just have never been sold on him as a first round quarterback and we see in the mocks they're really pushing quarterbacks but now we're starting to hear feedback from nfl insiders that the NFL's not high on this class. Could that change if somebody like Ritter goes out and puts up a big game on a big stage against Alabama? And this is, honestly, this is a great opportunity for him to do it because Bama doesn't have the the same caliber of defense as we've seen in the, in the past from Bama teams. Now, he's going to have to contend with that pass rush. You've got, uh, as we said, Anderson on the outside. You've got Fildarian Mathis. Coming at you from the inside, I think he had eight sacks this year. So you've still got some big-time players on that Bama defense. But this might be a team that he can attack. And if he gets, if he does the impossible and gets the first-ever group of five team into that final, then, uh, you know, let, let the mayhem ensue. Remember back when Cardale Jones went from third stringer to winning the national championship in a matter of weeks, and all of a sudden, draft Knicks were talking about him as possibly the QB1 in that class. He ultimately opted to go back to Ohio State. That may have been a big mistake because he was getting a ton of hype. So that could could something like that happen to Ritter? It would be fascinating to see that. Jamison Williams gets a good look early at... Uh... Sauce Gardner, the the talented corner from Cincy, and then Evan Neal against uh, MyJ Sanders. These are all potential first round matchups. Um, what what are you expecting and looking for? Well, Jameson Williams has made everybody look bad in uh, especially the last five weeks. Four of the last five games of the season, he had over 150 receiving yards. The only game that he didn't. He was ejected for targeting on kick coverage. So this guy, uh, we're, we're going to talk about him more on the Patreon show 
this coming Thursday. And that's, uh, again, that's the $2 a month tier. But anyway, Williams is a burner. He's a player we've been on since probably May. And and maybe even earlier than that, because we didn't even come back to the show since until March of uh, 2021. But Williams is really proving that he was the the top caliber receiver, a guy who could hang with those three receivers that we saw at Ohio State that are all around a thousand yards receiving. And he goes, he found the opening at Alabama. He became the man and led the SEC. You know, following in the footsteps of all these great Alabama receivers we've seen recently. So now he's going against Sauce Gardner, who a lot of people have already been slotting in the first round. So we've seen Gardner in the first round of these mocks a lot throughout the season. Williams started to creep in midseason, and now he's moving up to the point where he's almost the number one receiver in some of these mock drafts like we talked about on last week's show. So this is a key matchup for both of these guys. I don't know how much they'll actually be on each other, but I would imagine that Cincinnati is going to do their best to get their best corner on Alabama's number one receiver. And the, the wrinkle in this is that John Mechie, Alabama's number two receiver, a very good receiver in his own right, he tore his ACL last weekend. So Bama's going to have a different number two guy when it comes to the uh, playoffs this year. So I think that's going to be Ja'Cory Brooks, but it could be someone different. And is that person, is that player going to be able to to create enough of a distraction, as Mechie did, to leave Jameson Williams with the one-on-one types of coverage that we saw from uh, against him, which just wasn't working out for opposing defenses. Evan Neal has been pretty good. Um I think you and I both agree that he needs to be a an inside guy when he goes to the pros. Maybe maybe he can move over to the right side. Um, but he's got a nice look this week against my Jason or this game against my Jay Sanders. We'll get more into these matchups as it goes. But what are you uh, what are you expecting to see here? You know, Sanders had a uh, kind of a bit of a disappointing year from sack production standpoint, but he's still highly regarded for his uh, his big guy, you know, 6'5", 250, 260, and he's regarded as a high-end athlete. So I'm not sure how high-end that remains to be seen, but uh, I think he has the potential to be an explosive pass rusher off the edge. To me, he's always been more of a day two guy, like um, Yannick Ngakwe was coming out of college. But Sanders is going against a, a player now we see in Neal, who was like a consensus number one uh, offensive tackle in the draft net community until recently. Now we're starting to, to see cracks in that and some players getting pushed ahead of him at O-line. And I don't think it's because he's played poorly, but I think that there have been some things show up, some limitations show up as far as how can he, how much he can handle speed. This might be a good, I mean, this should be a good matchup for my Jay Sanders. If he is the type of athlete in terms of speed that people say he is, then this could be a very good opportunity for him going against a player who's still very highly regarded in Neil, but just not quite the consensus player that he was earlier 
in the season. So I'm intrigued by this matchup. And I think when we talk about Sauce Gardner, MyJ Sanders, those are two players that I think could have played on most of these teams that we talk about as far as Power 5 um, upper echelon teams. I think those are two athletic talent, athletically talented guys. Along with, we could add the receiver Alec Pierce, who could have hung with uh, their competition if they had gone to one of these bigger schools. How much... Um... You, you mentioned it. They're going to be able to overcome missing John Mechie, don't you think? You would think so, but it, it the difference is, you know, Mechie gets hurt in the last game of the season, so you have to overcome that loss in the next game. Well, luckily for them, the next game's not for several weeks. It's not like they have only one week to plan and to get another guy uh, acclimated to, that, to a similar role. So they should be able to kind of reload as Bama does. But this is not uh, – it's not the same as having it happen during the offseason when you have the whole spring and summer practice to work a guy in. But it's also a better uh, circumstance for them to be able to have a few weeks to get somebody in that role. So it's really unfortunate, man. Mechie was playing very well, and you saw that happen at, in real time, non-contact. He goes down and – they, they tried to get him off the field, get him to the locker room to get that knee checked out. And I had a feeling that, that Mechie knew that his season was over. And he so he remained on the sideline, uh, actually squatting down, watching his teammates complete that, that touchdown drive that he was injured on. And then he was taken down to the locker. We didn't see him again. So uh, it just really stinks for a guy like that. You know, it's pro- it, it, it will be interesting. He has a decision to make. He could have the surgery. He could come back to Alabama next year. He has eligibility left as a junior. Or he could um, see what he can do as a pro and just kind of sit out the athletic testing. But he still should be healthy. I would imagine he'd be healthy uh, enough to start the beginning of next season, especially if it's just the ACL. Is Michigan actually what we thought Georgia was all along? Um, the team with, you know, kind of the best defense. I think the difference for me is those pass rushers at Michigan are better than the pass rushers at at Georgia. So in the end, what you end up with is a really – you have really good pass rushers at, at uh, Georgia. I think you have better linebackers at Georgia, and I think – we saw that Georgia's secondary isn't as good as we expected them to be. I know they're pretty young still, but is is Michigan's offensive line and their ability to kind of control the tempo of the game, you know, what we were expecting from Georgia more? I think after watching the last two weekends – then you have to at least consider the possibility. And you have two star defensive ends in Ojabo and Hutchinson, who I think are better than any player that that Georgia has along that defensive line. I think Georgia might have the edge at linebacker. And then in the secondary, you know, I, I haven't really been able to study 
a lot of secondary players throughout the, the season to really get any any sense any nuance on that. But you get the feeling that Michigan was able to hang with Ohio State's receivers enough to run smash mouth and beat them that way. Whereas, and they still, Ohio State's receivers still had big days. So, if, but I don't think Georgia can throw on them like Ohio State did. You know, Stetson Bennett isn't going to be able to throw on Michigan like C.J. Stroud did. And then uh, the question then is, how much can Cade McNamara throw on Georgia? Because that's that looks to be the key to beating them. This this feels like it's going to be a ten to three game, like that Georgia Clemson game. So it's going to come down. I think it's going to come down to the running games of both teams. You have two game manager type of quarterbacks. Although I think McNamara is the better of the two in terms of of uh, ability and game management. But you have a lot of uh, offensive line, defensive line matchups. I'm not sure that Michigan's offensive tackle, or I'm sorry, that Georgia's offensive tackles are are athletic enough to hang with those two defensive ends if they're going to try and have Bennett throwing the ball, or if they get behind and need Bennett to throw the ball. Um, I I think that... uh, Yeah, I mean, it kind of proved this week, like once that happens, they're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is it possible they'd make a quarterback switch? I kind of don't think so. But uh, then you have the, you know, Georgia might have the slight edge in terms of you know just athletic talent at running back but Hassan Haskins Blake Corum and now uh the freshman Edwards who's getting into the game for Michigan certainly Corum and Edwards look like very athletic guys with speed Haskins is a tough runner and I think Michigan's offensive line is really uh more athletic than Georgia's so Georgia needs that disruption up front with Jordan Davis and company I think you're going to have a low-scoring game. So I'm not ready to make my prediction on this. We'll do that at a later date. but because uh, And I don't want recency bias to creep in. I want a chance to review both of these teams and their performances throughout the year. Because don't forget that Michigan State and Kenneth Walker just ran all through this Michigan defense. So it's going to come down to preparation. And I, I think these two teams are really similar and similarly built. And, and uh, from no matter what position you're talking about. So it might be it might come down to slight edges at certain spots that's gonna make the difference in this game. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm as you as everybody knows, I'm no Michigan fan. Last two out, Notre Dame and their new head coach, uh, Marcus Freeman, and then your Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, I don't think either of us are shocked by that. The question becomes: Will all their guys play? Um, you know, is this a is this a situation where you're going to see guys like Chris Olave sit out the final game? Well, a couple of years back, uh, we did see this when the Ohio State was not in the playoffs. Denzel Ward was coming out, and he did sit out the bowl game, and the fans aren't going to like that. But I wouldn't. Be, I would not be a bit surprised if both Olave and Garrett Wilson sit this game out. Uh, C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, those guys are freshmen, redshirt freshmen and freshmen respectively. And then uh, Smith and Jigba is a sophomore. I expect all those guys to play. But for Olave and Wilson, who've who are pretty well established first round, maybe maybe early second round picks, but top 
certainly top 40 picks with what they've put on uh, on tape already without even having to go through the athletic testing, which I think they'll both do well, at least in terms of speed. I don't really – I wouldn't be surprised if they skip it. And I, I kind of think it, if you ask me today, which you are, I think they will skip it. And uh, will, will there be others that do? I'm not sure there's any others that are so established on the team that, that they don't feel like they want to take one more shot uh, to impress some of the powers that be in the NFL scouting community. But um, I think those guys want to win as much as anybody, but I also think they know that it, it might not be worth risking injury in a game against Utah that just isn't going to factor into their standing whether it be their draft standing or their team standing. So that's kind of how I feel. Um, it'd be tough. As a, as a fan, you'd love to see them again. As an advisor, I'd probably tell them both, like, hey, you guys don't need this game. I'm not sure Notre Dame really has anybody who f- fits that bill. Um, I was wondering about Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton's already been hurt, so I expect him to probably miss this game too um, because he, he was hurt earlier in the year and didn't come back so unless i missed something uh they didn't obviously they didn't play this past weekend so he didn't come back after getting hurt earlier in the year and uh it yeah he's kind of regarded as a top five top ten pick so i would probably tell him sit this one out too otherwise i think you'll see everyone else so it's those three guys those those are the three that i think will skip this bowl game uh, that would have been unheard of a few years ago, but now it seems to be pretty normal unless you're in the playoffs. You got a hot take for us? I do. Um, we've talked about Jordan Davis because we it might feel like we're lower on him than a lot of our fellow draftniks or big draft. Uh, although it seems like more and more people are coming around to our side on this. I mean, I could be misconstruing things, but that's that's my perception of how people are analyzing Jordan Davis these days. Um, but the other day, Matt Miller, NFL at NFL Draft Scout, he tweeted, "Every time I watch him, I'm stunned at how well Jordan Davis moves for how wide he is." This is a common thing that you see from draft Knicks when they're talking about Jordan Davis, or maybe even like going back a Danny Shelton or. Someone that's uh, a big, you know, just think big man. Phil Taylor, a guy who played for the Browns and played at Baylor. These are big 330-pound guys who do things that uh, you know, 230-pound guys can't do. But at the same time, what's the impact going to be at the next level? And he got Matt got a reply from a star NFL player, a guy who's been a pro bowler multiple times. A guy who's played for a lot of good teams, and that's Calais Campbell. And he he said in reply to Miller, he better learn to pass rush. Got to at least push the pocket. So there you have a guy kind of echoing some of the same things, some of the same concerns that we've always had for players of this ilk. And here it is coming from a star NFL player in response to uh, a member of Big Draft. So... I thought that was really interesting. I don't know how hot the take is, because I agree with his take, but uh, it's and maybe it's maybe we should get the flame music out or the flame sound effect out anyway on that, Robert. But uh, 
you know, I think he has, I think he has a great point. I'm glad to see someone else thinks kind of the same way we do on this issue. Well, it's one of those things like Jordan Davis, we've talked about it. He's a phenomenal, you know, run stuffing talent in the middle. But the reason a guy like Jordan Phillips from the Arizona Cardinals got paid the the money he did in the offseason wasn't because of his ability to stuff the run. It's because he had nine and a half sacks in a season at 300 and, what, 50 pounds or whatever he is. Um, and that was like the most sacks in the NFL by a 300-plus pounder in, in – like eight years, it was crazy, and like the second most all time by a three hundred fifty plus pounder. So, like to your point, that doesn't happen with those with guys those that size. And so, what ends up happening is they're very good football players that end up getting, you know, forty to maybe fifty percent of snaps and. Then you ask yourself, well, is that guy worth that in the top 32? Right. And that's always where we've approached this. You know, so many of these guys, they're so big, they can't play. When they get to the NFL, they can't play more than 30, 40% of the snaps. You you talk about how well they might stuff, stuff the run, but then the same analysts push teams to throw 60, 70% of the time. So I just feel like it's a having you you know you want to have your cake and eat it too. You want to be able to to push the running backs don't matter theory, but then you want to hype up the guys who stop the run. And so it's it just seems a little bit backwards to me. Uh, you talked about Jordan Phillips. He went four seasons where his uh, his first four seasons where his career high in sacks was two. Uh, since he had nine and a half sacks for Buffalo, he's had three sacks in in uh, one and a half seasons with with Arizona. You know, albeit only nine games last year, only seven say, games so he, far this year. And, and Phillips is a bad example because his biggest issue has always been health. Like when he's mm-hmm. actually healthy, he's not bad at as an interior pass rusher. The fact is, he just he literally just can't get on the field because he's always. Hurt, And that's another thing that you and I talk about, and this will be something we talk about at a later date, but big guys with lower body injuries. I mean, it's something you and I have talked about for years and our concerns with drafting yep. these big body guys with lower in, lower body injuries because typically they don't heal well. And what, what's hard to understand and, and about this is that guys that big – you know, to your point, they move at a at a special level that you know most humans can't even fathom. And then yeah. when anything is off in their in their body, it's really hard for them to get on the field and play that way. Um, you know, so if you're just a guy who is able just to sit and not you know and and just two gap and you're not doing anything, but if you're an explosive player. That is looking to, like you said, push the pocket and rush the pow- passer. You got to be able to move, and if your if your lower body doesn't feel right, I mean that's basically a death knell to your ability. Yeah, and it, it's not that that these players don't serve a a role that they don't have a purpose in a defense. I think they have a valuable purpose. A lot, you know, at least 
a third or two two fifths of the time. But uh, you have to examine. Th- then they become fairly scheme specific. You know, team specific. Where you're ta- talking about where does this player fit? What team would they fit best with? And um, I, you know, I just gravitate because I don't cover all 32 teams. I just gravitate toward players I think will fit with any team. And generally speaking, I don't see that being the case with these really big guys. So, um, obviously, you know, the draft next big draft, they've been high on Jordan Davis throughout the year. We'll have to see kind of once the board gets stacked, where does a player like that fall into the rankings overall? But in terms of uh, this take by Matt about how well – Jordan Davis moves. I thought it was really interesting that Clay's Campbell chimed in on it, and with I thought a very poignant, a very yeah. poignant take that he's like, yeah, this guy might move great, but can he push the pocket? Can he get to the passer? And uh, you don't have to get sacks. We're not fans of of pressures as a statistic per se, but you don't have to get sacks to be an impactful player. You can get in there, open it up for your defensive end teammates get your hand up and bat a pass. Those kind of things are helpful too. And it, it just remains to be seen, you know, I think from my, from my perspective, how well Jordan Davis can really make an impact in that aspect of the game. Anything else before we get out of here? No, sir. Um, thank you to all the listeners. Uh, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe. Uh, we're getting into – Real draft talk. So a lot of your teams, a lot your your fans of a lot of teams that are out of it. Unless you're an AFC fan, where every team is still alive. But as soon as your team's out of it, come give us a listen. We're talking about draft prospects. We've got bowl season. We're going to go into All Star season, and then of course we're going to go into draft season with all the athletic testing. So it's going to be fun. I'm, uh, you know, college football season is over. We've got a break in the action. So now it's time for you and me to go back and review some of these players and really start to firm up our takes. I would agree with you on that. Yep, just like Justin said, we appreciate you listening. We've got even more content out there uh, with the Patreon. So, you know, two bucks a month, subscribe, support support us in that. Uh, allow us to explain to our wives why we keep doing this. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back later this week with our Patreon episode. We need to do an outro at some point. That just something kind of what I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's two dollars a month for our bonus episodes. Four dollars a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That we could be it right a, there. A read. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>